This is Casually Nerding, a conversation between two friends who just wanted to nerd out across state lines. On this episode of Casually Nerding, we talk about Adventure Time, Invader Zim, Arrested Development, David Letterman's Lost Show, and finally, after a long three-episode wait, we talk about J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies, Star Trek, and Star Trek Into Darkness. This is episode four of Casually Nerding. Steak or caviar? Why not both? Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the show. This is Ken. I'm uh, here with Dan, as always. Hey, how's it going, man? Pretty good. How about you? Oh, it's been great, man. Been great. Just living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a it's been a little while since we've recorded an episode just because of crazy schedules and everything. I just want to thank everybody from for hanging on to that. Um, we're gonna actually build up a few of these episodes and release them weekly, so it'll be a easier treat for everybody to retrieve instead of having to wait. Oh, you know, two weeks for an episode. Um, so we're working on that too. Uh, so today, just want to go ahead and start off with just letting you know what we're going to do. We've been talking about doing Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness for the last three episodes, and we're actually going to do it this time. Um, we'll uh, jump into that after we do what we are nerding out on. Um, so Dan, why don't you start off and uh, just tell us what you're, uh, you're nerding out on this week. All right, yeah, definitely. So Hulu is really, they're kind of the underdog of streaming television because when you think of streaming TV, you think of Netflix. That's what you first go to. However, Hulu is really stepping up their game. As you might have known, <clears throat> they just recently purchased all the episodes of Seinfeld for $189 million, and they're going to begin to stream those starting next month. However, they've also acquired a lot of Nickelodeon properties, and right now, one of the ones that I'm nerding out on this week is Invader Zim because, let's just face it, Invader Zim is complete comic genius in every single form. <laughs> and so I've been looking at that. They've also uh, they've also acquired some of Car- Cartoon Network's Adult Swim properties, so Robot Chicken's also on there. So when I get a little bit of time, I also look at I check out a couple episodes of Robot Chicken. But also, I have gotten back into Arrested Development, and I don't know what it is. Last week. One one time, I uh, I just had a I just wanted to watch Arrested Development, so I started from season one, episode one, and and just haven't put it back down. I've been really nerding out on Arrested Development. It's a really funny show, really great humor, and I just don't understand why shows like this get canceled all the time when they they just have so much great qualities and great writing and great a great cast to it. So. I highly recommend Arrested Development if any of you listeners out there haven't checked it out yet. Well, I do know why shows like that get canceled, and it's because of one word, and that word is Fox. <laughs> uh, so uh, I've got the answer for you right there. That's true. I mean, I'm sure ratings has something to do with it, but like, let's be honest. Fox has canceled Futurama, Family Guy, for the uh, sci-fi nerds out there, Firefly, yes. um, and Arrested Development, which went on to get a fourth season on Netflix. So just, you know. One word, and that's Fox. You know, Fox, they just they can't handle their comic book movie properties. They can't <laughs> handle television. They just need to get out of the entertainment industry altogether. <laughs> um, possibly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of getting out of the entertainment industry, I, I know Dave Letterman isn't getting out of the industry. He's just leaving his show um, and leaving that format he's been in for 33 years. And that's what I've 
kind of been enjoying this week is just uh, rem- remembering the funniness and everything that I've experienced in probably the 21 years that I've been watching David Letterman. Uh, for me, it started off with uh, being sick with the chicken pox and not having to go to bed at, at the normal bedtime, so I uh, got to stay up and watch some Letterman for the first time ever. And I was like six or seven at that time, and most of the jokes flew over my head, but I, I enjoyed it because I was like, ah, I get to watch a, an adult show now, you know. <laughs> Um, and just, uh, watching, I watched the, uh, finale and I, I got to experience that and it, it reminded me that I'm getting older and things are changing and not having Letterman there just, you know, I didn't always watch Letterman, but not having him there was, is kind of a, uh, it's kind of a downer after the finale. So, uh, it's a bit of a downer what I'm nerding out on this week, but I've definitely been enjoying the the humor and, and like the retrospective of uh, let, uh, the Letterman era of late night television. So mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to go with on that. Also, I'm going to also mention uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finale, which I won't get into details, but it it has the potential to line up a few new arcs very well and actually close out storylines very well as well. Um, I have the feeling that they didn't think that they might get renewed. So uh, the way they closed out everything was very nice and had a nice little bow on so whenever we have our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. retrospective, Dan, we'll uh, definitely nerd on that episode. I think you, it's one of the best. You know, I read some news today that really delighted me, and it says that season two of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is dropping on Netflix next month already. Oh, wow. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so it's I'm going to be switching over to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. here pretty soon once I get done with the rest of development, which will probably be next week. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, And... Yeah, so I can nerd out on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. seasons one and two so I can prepare for what's next in season three. That's awesome. I That's a really fast turnaround time. I hope I hope more TV shows will actually pick up on that so you can binge over the the summer instead of having to wait until like a week before the episode or the first episode of the next season airs. Uh, that's Yeah, that's really awesome news. Yeah. Uh, and actually speaking of... Uh, Cartoon Network properties. I was curious because you dro- you mentioned that, and I just uh, looked on Hulu, and Hulu has uh, let's see all five seasons so far of Adventure Time. Yes, which is a show that I love thoroughly, and I know that as a kid I would have loved it, and as an adult I definitely love it because there are so many in jokes for adults, and they're they're great jokes for kids as well. Um, so that's probably something I will be binging in the next couple of weeks as well, just going back and and watching some old Adventure Time. Definitely. All right, so we're, we've nerded out and uh, on what we're doing this week. What, what we're going to be talking about this week is Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek 2000, uh, Into Darkness, which came out in 2013. Um, as usual, we go over the Rotten Tomatoes scores for the movies and maybe some of the, uh, uh, the critics' reviews, if, if you find anything interesting in there. Um, and we're going to start with Star Trek 2009 because it was the first movie. And for that movie, it actually had a, 90, a 95% uh, Rotten Tomatoes score, and it was certified fresh. The average audience score was 91%. Um, and the critical cons- critics' consensus for the show, or for the, for the movie, was that Star Trek reignites a classic franchise with action humor, a strong story, and brilliant visuals, will, and will please traditional Trekkies and new fa- fans alike. And then for Star Trek Into Darkness 2013, 
It received an 87% on the Rotten Tomatoes score. It was also certified fresh by Rotten Tomatoes. The average audience score only dropped by one percentage point, and that was went to 90%. Um, and the critics' consensus was visually spectacular and suitable action packed. Suitably action packed. Star Trek Into Darkness is a rock solid installment in the venerable sci fi franchise, even if it's not as fresh as, as its predecessor. So, so now, know, now that we know that, um, we're going to just jump, jump into the plot now. Um, Dan, do you want to tell us about the, uh, the basic plot for Star Trek 2009? Definitely. Uh, the basic plot is pretty straightforward. It follows as many of our listeners out there probably uh, <clears throat> probably remember that it starts out that we see Kirk's father, Captain James Tiberius Kirk, the future Thor, I might add. Uh, and uh, and he's he's on the, he's on a ship that gets attacked by the Romulans headed by Nero, and Nero calls for the for an audience of the captain on his ship, and as so uh, as the captain obliges and appoints Captain Kirk to to take control of the ship, uh, Nero begins to question the the captain who it's um what's the cat what's the captain's name. Oh my goodness! I can't even. I don't remember right now. It's uh, isn't it? Anyway, sorry, I can't remember the captain's name. But um, anyway, so Nero questions the captain. He's asking him what day it is. He says, "What's that?" Captain Robel. Oh, that's it, Robel. Yes. Um, and he says, "What what year is it? Or what's the star date?" And he says, "It's twenty star date twenty two thirty three. And, uh, you know, he freaks out and he kills Captain, Captain Robau and so thus assumes Captain James Tiberius Kirk of the, of the ship. And so Nero <coughs> begins to open fire on the, on, um, excuse me, on the Kelvin, on the, on the USS Kelvin. And so Captain Kirk proceeds to, um, evacuate everybody from the spaceship, from the from the from the uh, starship, including his pregnant wife, who's delivering their son, Captain uh, Captain Kirk. Did I mess this up? I think I did. No, you're you're doing well with this. No, I think I said um, that James Tiberius Kirk was uh, was Thor was Thor's character. I'm sorry, yeah, I, sorry, I listeners. You said Captain Kirk. It's it's fine. We'll, yeah. we'll clarify by uh, by the character that Dan is referring to of saving the ship. That is. Captain Kirk's father, George Kirk. George Kirk. I apologize for the convenience, <laughs> inconvenience. So yeah, so George Kirk is trying to save the ship, and so he successfully gets uh, most of the most of his crew off, and as well as um, uh, as well as his his pregnant wife and his son James, and after after uh, his wife births. James, they uh, the the movie fast forward uh, about twenty one years so that uh, so that J- uh, James Kirk has kind of become this teenage James Dean punk rebel outlaw in Illinois, or excuse me, no, in in uh, Iowa, and uh, and he gets recruited. Uh, he, he's in a bar with a bunch of Starfleet cadets that are that are um, preparing to enter Starfleet Academy. And he gets in a bar fight with these cadets over uh, over getting Uhura's name, uh, you know, trying to pick her up, trying to hit on her. And he gets in a bar fight, which is broken up by Captain Pike, who then just, tries to recruit James as as um, 
to to join the start to join Starfleet Academy as well. So of course we know that that uh, Jim he you know initially declines, but we all know that he's going to come back and and he decides to join Starfleet Academy. So in Starfleet Academy he meets up with with Bones and Spock. No 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 excuse me not Spock just yet, but he meets up with Bones and Uhura and some other people and. Then the movie kind of fast forwards four years later, and I, I like the dynamic of when we first meet Bones. He's this really paranoid uh, space guy, and he can't stand being in space because he just thinks oh, everybody's going to blow up. But then, uh, but then in the uh, when um, they get boarded onto the Enterprise, and they're in, they're in the shuttle from Starfleet Academy, the Enterprise. Um, Bones is just like, oh, look at this, Jim. It's great. It's fantastic. So that's just a little aside that I kind of appreciated. But in Starfleet Academy, we know that Jim goes to take the uh, Kobayashi Maru exam. And knowing that it's designed for everybody to fail it, he decides to cheat the the exam and to the dismay of Spock and ends up passing the Kobayashi Maru to which he is tried and almost disbarred and almost kicked out of Starfleet Academy if it wasn't for uh, the attacks on Nero, for, uh, Nero attacking a Starfleet outpost that, uh, that happened in the middle of this, uh, this, this hearing. So the cadets were forced to kind of have a shotgun graduation and join with their respective starships and go help out, uh, go help out as Nero is destroying these ships. Um, in order for Kirk to be on the board of the USS Enterprise, Bones decides to vaccinate him against uh, space. What was it? Uh, uh, a space strain of influenza or something like that. I can't remember. And uh, and and puts him in Bones' care. So Bones has to take him up to the USS Enterprise. And while while they are in warp speed, because of this whole fiasco of Bones trying to get Kirk to be under his uh, be under his uh, command, under his jurisdiction, if you will. It kind of delayed the Enterprise's uh, the the Enterprise joining up with all these other starships, and so uh, because of that, they, it kind of saves their skins because Kirk remembers on the day he was born, there was all this uh, there was all this lightning and stuff, and all these these uh, weird anomalies that were occurring, a lightning storm, if you will, in outer space. And Kirk says, um, he says, you got to disengage, get out of uh, warp drive because this is what happened when I was born. And there was this huge ship that had these weapons that nobody could handle and, and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, it's just bad news. And so they come out of warp, dri- warp speed and just see pretty much a Starfleet graveyard. And they see Nero's ship. And what's going on at this point is um, – they are that the that Nero ship is is preparing to destroy the planet Vulcan where Spock is from. And he and Nero does in fact destroy the planet Vulcan. And uh, before he destroys it, Kirk and and um, and um, Lieutenant uh, um, good grief what uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sulu, Sulu and uh, one of the chief engineers do perform a space jump onto a, onto the drilling platform that is currently drilling into the planet Vulcan's core. And uh, they, they try to evacuate and get as many people out as possible. Uh, but uh, their efforts are of no dismay or they, their efforts 
uh, are in vain, and 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 Vulcan does in fact blow up, including and among the casualties was Spock's mother. And so at this point, <clears throat> um, they they figure out that uh, the that Nero spaceship the Narada is um, trying to get Earth's defense codes because Nero Nero actually uh, kidnapped Pike for Earth's defense codes. So they're going to go to Earth and destroy Earth. And while this is happening, Kirk and Spock kind of get into the, one of their first big fights to which Spook, Sp- Spock maroons Kirk onto Delta Vega for attempted mutiny. And, at the, and while, while Kirk is on Delta Vega, he encounters the older Spock that explains that he and Nero are from 129 years in the future and that Romulus in the future is threatened by a supernova. So Spock attempted to use this red matter, the same red matter that destroyed Vulcan, to create an artificial black hole to consume the supernova. However, Spock's calculations were a little off, and it was too late. And so Nero's family perished along with the planet, while Nero and the Narada were out doing it, performing a space mining. We were out space mining, and so uh, they, the Narada, chased Spock's vessel into a black hole and uh, caught them in back in time. Sent them back in time. Nero and Nero then uh, stranded Spock on Delta Vega in order to watch Vulcan's destruction as revenge for failing to save Romulus. So at this uh, at this outpost, Kirk meets Spock, or excuse me, Kirk meets Scott, Scotty, and with uh, the old Spock's help, Kirk helps uh, Scott beam onto the Enterprise um, because of this because of the uh, hyperdrive equation, the the warp speed, equ- the uh, transporting equation that Scotty hasn't calculated yet, which I thought was kind of fun. Uh, so eventually, so Kirk provokes Spock into attacking him, making Spock recognize that he is emotionally compromised and re- relinquishes his command to Spock to Kirk. And at this point, Spock decides to help Kirk um, and just take out Nero and take out the Narada and save Earth. And so the Enterprise hides itself on the gas clouds of Titan, and Kirk and Spock beam aboard the Narada and begin to fight fight Nero. <clears throat> and rescue Pike as well. And at the while uh, while this is happening, the Narada begins to drill into Earth's core to destroy it. And they are they are able to knock the drill away. <coughs> uh, they're able to destroy the drill, I should say, and lead the Narada away from Earth. And they um, at this point, uh, Spock or excuse me, the uh, the Enterprise and the Narada are on a, are on a crash. They're on a collision course, and. As they are, um, as they are, the idea for this whole for this whole collision course thing is that the the older Spock ship, um, when the older Spock ship and the Narada collide, that there's going to be the, the the red matter on Spock's ship will ignite, or excuse me, on the Narada and and um, will destroy the 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 Narada vessel. And so this happens in a very kind of cool way that uh, these two ships. Uh, the the Enterprise goes to collide with the Narada, but the very last minute pulls pulls away, and um, and the Narada explodes, and then we're taken to back on Earth, to which Kirk is promoted to the rank of captain and given command of the Enterprise, and Pike is promoted to admiral, and Spock then encounters his his older self, which would really piss off Doc Brown from Back to the Future, <laughs> which I always thought was funny. And uh, and and they 
and Spock tells him to live long and prosper. And at this point, they um, Spock joins up with the rest of the crew on the Enterprise, and they go to boldly explore where no man's gone before. And that's the movie. Awesome. I will make one call out, and that's at the end where Spock actually says, uh, uh, he doesn't say live long and prosper. That's only because he, uh, it's it's funny how he says it. It's like, as my uh, customary greeting would be seem oddly self-serving, oh. I wish you good luck. That's right, that's right. Um, I, I love the ending of that movie. It's set, first of all, I'm just going to say I love that movie in general. Mm-hmm. It, it was a good movie. Um, for times, I actually loved it more than Star Trek Into Darkness, and we'll get into that as to why. Don't, excuse me, but uh, it, it did really, it did a great job of bringing all of these cast of characters together. And... I really enjoyed Star Trek 2009. It was it was a great coming together of all these characters and a building of all of these characters. It, it it did what it took several seasons and at least two two or three movies for uh, Star Trek to to build up and create these characters in a way. And I th- I think that did a very the movie did a very good job of it. It did have the the advantage of having the source material and mm-hmm. being able to like in a way, do a Cliff Notes version and cut out some of the weirdness, which was nice. But I, I definitely enjoyed how it was able to bring all these characters together and did it in a new way that created its own universe and didn't and didn't like say to the old fans like, "Well, all of your stuff is gone. You have you you, you have to deal with it now." It's like <laughs> the old stuff is there. It's in its own you know universe, and this is in its own the new Star Trek with J.J. Abrams uh, that Abrams cr- created is in a new universe. And what you know and love isn't being overwritten. So, mm-hmm. you know. yeah, and that's a, that was a really smart call on JJ Abrams' part to do that because, I mean, fanboys today they just they get so offended so easily. And I mean, I know I'm one of them. You know, I get really mad when you mess up certain things. So it was really smart for JJ Abrams to say, you know what, this isn't going to be a remake. It's going to be its own movie in its own universe. So props to JJ Abrams for that. Yeah, and this is, uh, I, I really enjoyed how that approach, it, it made sense, and can of 2009, I was, I was actually definitely a hardcore Star Trek fanboy, not saying, not to say that I am not now, I'm definitely a Star Trek fanboy, but I think in 2009, if they had overwritten what I had known, I would have been very upset about it. I think today, I probably would have been like, yeah, but it's not like they actually, they literally overwrote it, they just, you know creating the same universe with the characters that I love. So I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now that we have the plot for the movie, uh, let's jump into some memorable moments that you might have uh, with that. Um, if you don't mind, I'll actually start off on this one because there are quite a few. Yeah, um, definitely. I think one of the, the interesting things that you mentioned when you started, like when you started the plot out was Chris Hemsworth's Hem- Hemsworth as George Kirk. And, I remember when that when I saw that, like there was a split second. I was like, "Wow, that he looks a lot like uh, Chris P- Chris Pine." And uh, the friend I was actually going with uh, actually asked me, "I was like, is that Chris Pine?" And I was like, "No, I'm pretty sure that's uh, somebody else." And then I'm realizing it's oh, it's actually the future Thor. Um, <laughs> so I I really I appreciate that. It was it was actually a really good really good call out because you got to see George Kirk who you never saw in any previous Star Trek, you you were always heard some reference to him, 
but it was nice to have a actually see him on screen and see him be a badass in his own right. Apparently, being a Kirk is synonymous with being a badass. That is very much very true. <clears throat> and I love that piggybacking off that. Uh, you know, one of the first things that that uh, that Captain Pike says to Kirk when he's trying to recruit him to James Kirk, that is, is your father was captain for 12 minutes and he saved 800 lives. I dare you to do better. I mean, what kind of a challenge is that? You know? <laughs> so I, that was one of the memorable moments for me, one of the memorable diet parts of the dialogue. Yeah, I definitely, I appreciated the team, especially with uh, it starting out was like uh, uh, Admiral Pike is like, oh yeah, I want you to uh, join Starfleet. He's like, what are you guys down on your, your recruiting numbers this month or something? <laughs> I, I enjoyed the, the comedy in this movie, and that's one of the things that most people don't realize about Star Trek in general, is that it has its comedic moments. It's not a comedy series by any means, but especially with the original cast, they had a great chemistry with comedy, and I think that's something that the later Star Trek movies um, kind of got away from. They went to more of an action format, but uh, having the, 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 the comedy... The moments of comedy were was always great, uh, just like with. Uh, I'm blanking out on what I'm what I wanted to say there, but anyway, I I, I really appreciated that. Actually, yeah, with Bones, like in in the new movies, he was more of a, a comedic uh, performance, especially with uh, in Star Trek in the Darkness. But I I definitely I like those scenes. I I like having those bits of levity in a what is now more of a darker world, a more, uh, more scarier world of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, like Bones, <laughs> one, of the, one of his lines, are you out of your Vulcan mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of uh, Vulcan minds, uh, forming Vulcan minds, I, Vulcan minds um, I, I like that... So I think Star Trek 2009 actually held its own with uh, callbacks to previous Star Treks. And we'll get into my thoughts on In the Darkness later on. But uh, with I like the scene with young Spock in the training center. I think it it was one of those scenes that did this movie well. Uh, building the characters, building young uh, Jim Kirk and building young Spock into the people who we know um, as adults. I actually like that scene in the training center where the uh, the Vulcan children like come up to him and try to insult him. And they end up succeeding in getting an emotional response from him. I, from my background, from my uh, experience in life and not always being in line with everyone and, and being able to, excuse me, and being able to relate to Spock, excuse me, and being able to relate to Spock as someone who is of two worlds. I have a mixed race background. So, I always appreciated that and seeing Spock go through this moment of being insulted because of his, his, his mixed heritage was, uh, was very, it, it was a memorable moment for me because you got to see him respond in a way that his father was not approving of. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that emotion that, that every Vulcan has and his, his father makes clear is like, you know, our emotions are actually, they run deeper than, than humans. And we have to embrace the logic and we have to embrace the ability to control those emotions because if we don't, we allow them to control us. And I think that's a very poignant line for young Vulcans, but it's also a poignant line for 
you know, the viewers as well. You know, we have to we have to be able to control our emotions from time to time. Because if we don't, we lose control of everything, really. Yeah, very much so. <clears throat> One of the things that um, that I like, uh, we've t- we talked a lot about how this movie has a lot of callbacks and to the original series. And one of my favorite callbacks to the original series was the space diving scene where they had the, where they had Sulu, Kirk and the engineer Sulu being in the blue suit, Kirk being in a red suit and the engineer being in a yellow suit, or excuse me, Kirk is in the yellow suit and the engineers in a red suit. And they beam down onto the, the core drilling machine and the engineer in the yellow suit gets a little too, or excuse me, in the red suit gets a little too overzealous and ends up killing himself. And I thought that was a funny callback to the original series where anybody knows that if there was a crew member, an extra wearing a red, a red, uh, a red suit that he was going to die. So I thought that was a really funny nod to the original series that red suit means death. Yeah. Engineer Olsen in uh, Star Trek 2009 definitely was that, uh, that red suit and unfortunately he was wearing the red suit and so uh he could die and uh have scotty join the crew as the new chief engineer so that's right yeah he sacrificed himself to allow us to have uh scotty step in and save the day scotty yeah good for (laughs) yeah that's great um so i think uh star trek was definitely a movie about beginnings and we got to see a lot of characters and i honestly i loved how it did the Um, like I said before, you know, James Kirk growing up and Spock growing up because they they are the main characters of the movie. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that we see how they grow. Um, but I think in, in, in the, in the way it introduced Bones, uh, Dr. McCoy, I, that was probably one, like the best character introduction of the movie and probably one of the best character introductions in general, because you have this cantankerous, man that's trying to stow away in the, in, a, in the bathroom stall so he doesn't have to see out the window. And a nurse is just, like, kicking him out. Or I don't know if she's a nurse or if she's a, a, a flight attendant or something like that. But she's trying to kick him out. And he takes a seat next to our, our young adventurer, James Kirk, and says, I might throw up on you. And he goes on and talks about how space is, is disease and, and everything. And... He talks about how Kirk asks him, like, well, why are you going to space? Because that's where Starfleet functions. And he talks about how he lost his, like, lost everything to his wife in the divorce, which in itself is a callback to the original series. But the line that, like, it's just sold it on me was, was hearing Carl Urban say, all I've got left is my bones. <laughs> and anybody of the original series knows that Dr. McCoy is referred to as bones. Um, Mm-hmm. And it was just a, it's just a great line. And I, I love the introduction. I was able to piece together that man. And, and, you know, after, at this point, which is 50, 50 years of history, but at that point it was like 40 years of history. We, we got to actually know where the bones nickname came from and it was really cool. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And I just want to say Carl Urban is my favorite character or my favorite actor in this series. Cause he just, his portrayal of bones is just spot on and, I mean, I just I love Carl Urban. I think he's a great actor. I, I love him in the movie Doom. I love him in Dread. I love him in uh, in Star Trek, and I think he's fantastic. Yeah, I think 
I, I wish there was more of the uh, Kirk Bones and Spock dynamic that you you get you got to see in the TV series. There, even the original series movies didn't have that dynamic as well, um, because I would love to see more Carl, Carl Urban. I'd love to see his character step up and and be more than like I don't want to say a comedic prop because he definitely wasn't a comedic prop, but he 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 can fall into being a secondary character, and I I, I kind of miss that being able to see old bones step in and you know keep Kirk in line and and be that emotional side to Kirk and to against uh, Spock's logical side of Kirk. Yeah. One of the things that uh, that I appreciated about this movie was that it steered away from the predictable time travel film that Hollywood is so used to generating this day and age. <clears throat> um, and I remember watching this movie with my dad, and I'd already seen the movie countless times, but it was my dad's first time watching the movie. And once he sees Planet Vulcan blow up, he turns to me and he says, oh, so let me guess, they're going to have to go back in time to fix this from ever happening. And I'm like, well, we, we just have to watch. I think Hollywood's kind of gotten this um, sense of back to the future where movies now have to go back and retro retcon everything. You know, we, we see this with the upcoming Terminator series, the, up, the upcoming Terminator movie, I should say, that's going back to the first and second movies to kind of retcon a few things. So I really appreciated that this movie steered away from that predictability that, oh, well, this is what's going to happen. They're going to have to go through a black hole, go back in time, and stop Nero from blowing up Vulcan so everybody can live happily ever after. And instead we're treated to, well, sorry, Vulcan's gone, so deal with it. And this is the new ti- this is the new timeline, so have at it. <laughs> yeah, that was very jarring. I When I was in very similar seat to your father and saying like, well, how are they going to fix this? They ha- they have to fix this. You know, you can't have the Federation without Vulcan. What are they going to do? And needless to say, the Federation does exist without Vulcan. And there are some implications based on it in the following movie. So I, I, I really appreciate that as well. Cause you're right. Normally you have, Oh, we have to go back in. It's already a time travel movie. So let's go back in time and fix it. Fix it in the end. There's like, no, sometimes you can't fix things. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciated that because it, it helped establish its own universe. It's like, this is a new universe. We're going to blow things up. And it creates that feeling of like, no character is safe. And I, I like having that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to finish up with my uh, my memorable choices or memorable thoughts. Um, and that is, at the end of the movie, you have Admiral Pike in the wheelchair after he's been rescued um, from Nero's Narada. Mm-hmm. And you have him handing over command to the Enterprise. You can get to the merits all day, every day, about should Kirk actually be in command of the Enterprise just because he saved, you know, Earth. All of that aside, I think it's actually a very uh, emotional scene, and it's actually one that also throws back, at least in my opinion, it throws back to the original series where you had Captain Pike no longer able to command um, and he was left to be in a wheelchair where he could either say yes or no. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's... Uh, it's like the, the character in Family Guy who always ends up in a wheelchair for some reason. <laughs> Joe, um, yeah. It's like, oh, so uh, Admiral Pike is always going to be in a wheelchair. That's uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, 
Poor Pike. Yeah, poor Pike indeed. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it was a very fitting scene because you got to see him hand over command to the ship that he commanded for, you know, 12 minutes. And hand that off to what was essentially his surrogate son. And I, I just really appreciate that scene. Oh, yeah, for sure. Before we move on, oh, did you have another thing left, Ken? No, that, that was it for me. Okay, before we move on, I just want to, I, I wrote a blog about this <clears throat> um, a couple of years back, and I just want to really quickly say, why is it that every creature in every movie loves human flesh? I mean, we think about Jurassic Park, we think about King Kong, um, and I won't get into the logistics of those, but you have Kirk who gets exiled on a planet that likely can't, can't, it can't um, sustain human life. And you have first this kind of snow abominable snow wolf kind of hybrid abominable snowman creature that goes after Kirk only to be swept up by what's called the Henrogagi monster that's like a squid and a poison, poisonous uh, Amazon flower got together and had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and the as as the snow as the snowman snow wolf thing is chasing Kirk, this Henrogagi thing picks up the it kills the snow wolf, but then it sees Kirk running away, and then it and it goes after Kirk, and Kirk is nothing like mo- nothing more than a slim jim or like a you know no pun intended, um, <laughs> a slim jim to this to this snow wolf, and and the Henrogagi just throws the snow wolf away to go after Kirk and come after him, and of course gets chased away by fire big. Uh, I just, uh, it's, it's always so funny. I know it's that it's there for the dynamic to create some, some, some shock and suspense and, you know, for the movie, but it's, why is it that just because a, a, a human is introduced to a foreign creature that suddenly the foreign creature has to eat human flesh? <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I, I never thought about it like that. I always just thought about the, the thing being very hungry, like waking up from a, uh, from a, hibernation or something but yeah you're right there are a lot of movies that where alien creatures definitely like, hmm, i wonder how that human tastes yeah i mean you know if i haven't so i haven't had caviar before okay so i'm not that rich and posh but <laughs> if it was it was between you know steak a nice porterhouse and a thing of caviar I'd probably go with a steak because I've eaten it before, you know? So if I was on this planet and I saw a human and the human was like the caviar, I'd be like, yeah, no, you can do your thing. I'm going to enjoy the steak that I'm eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess this guy is like, oh, well, there's steak and caviar. I can have Yeah, both. that's right. <laughs> Never had it before. Let's try it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So uh, so that was those were our memorable moments to, moments to Star Trek 2009. Um, we're going to hold off on our... Um, little bit further thoughts on the movie after we talk about Star Trek Into Darkness. And I'm actually going to take over here and talk about what, uh, what I saw in the plot for that movie. So, with Star Trek 2013, Into Darkness, Star Trek Into Darkness, I don't know why I keep trying to throw the date in there, but it, it seems poignant. Um, we start off in seeing our Gallup crew split up again. And we see Kirk and Bones running away from a temple of uh, people. And, and in Kirk's hand is a, a an, an ancient-looking scroll. And we cut away to seeing Spock, Uhura, and Sulu in a shuttlecraft. Uh, and Spock in the suit, ready, ready to uh, 
to land in a volcano and prevent the volcano from erupting and, and killing everyone on the planet. And the scene is a really good throwback to the original series where you got to see Kirk and crew on a mission and going out and doing things. Now, in this case, the mission was, hey, go check out this planet, see what's going on with it. And Kirk, being Kirk, can't let that, you know, goes to check out the planet and finds out, oh, there's a volcano that will destroy all life on the planet, so we must save these people. So they form a plan to do that. Um, and we see, you know, Spock, who is a logical person, willing to, is actually willing to sacrifice his life because of the captain's orders. And he lands down in the volcano, ready to set off the device, um, and is still willing to stay. And even after it's, it's realized that, oh, well, we can't rescue from the shuttle, and if we use the Enterprise, we won't be able to rescue you, or we will reveal ourselves in the life forms on the planet will, you know, know that there's higher technology than what they currently have, which goes against the prime directive of the Federation in that any species without warp drive cannot know that there is a uh, more technologically advanced species out there in order to prevent, you know, in order to prevent uh, that, that young species from being uh, corrupted or just altered from its its natural path. But of course, you know, in order to save Spock and to resolve his own actions, uh, James Kirk orders the Enterprise to be flown over the volcano and uh, Spock is saved. And uh, everything seems normal. You see the, uh, the, the inhabitants of the planet actually look up and see the Enterprise and throw away their scrolls, literally, literally throw away the scrolls and start to worship the flying Enterprise and that's uh that's what's left there and then when the uh, gallant crew gets back to earth we uh, find out that James uh, Kirk's uh, or Jim Kirk's uh, mission uh, debrief essentially says checked out the planet planet's fine everything's okay um, Spock is a little bit more detailed in his briefing including uh, thoughts on how he was saved and saving the people of the planet and because of that uh, Kirk feels betrayed by Spock after Admiral Pike uh, discusses the situation with him. And in that, sec in that section of the movie, in that part of the movie, uh, Kirk is relieved of command of the Enterprise and Spock is reassigned to another ship. Uh, we find out that Pike is named the captain of the Enterprise again. And uh, he saves Kirk from being forced back into Starfleet Academy and making Jim his number one. Uh, his first in command, or second in command, to uh, Pike. During this time, there's also a bombing in uh, at the uh, what seems like just a you know a standard archive in in London, but it turns out it's actually the the uh, headquarters or a a station for the ultra secret of Section 34, 31, which is uh, something that's actually a throwback to uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Enterprise and seeing the. Uh, the secretive side of, of Starfleet. And you uh, see all this, the senior commanders of Starfleet ordered together in what might possibly be the worst place to order a group of senior military officials, a very easily accessible room in the uh, in the middle of San Francisco. I, I would have to say that, like, of 
many Starfleet, like the Starfleet uh, things that they've done in the past, like this room being wide open after an attack on one of their facilities probably wasn't the best place to go to. But you have everybody order there, and uh, we are having a meeting and talking about this uh, John Harrison, who was the person behind attacking the, uh, the archive, and we see a ship pop up and attack the attack everyone there, um, attack the lead admiral for Starfleet, Admiral Marcus who is uh, played by uh, Peter Weller. Um, and then you have many characters killed, including Spock's new commander. And not immediately, but Admiral Kirk, or Admiral Pike is actually atta- is shot by uh, John Harrison's uh, jump ship as well. Kirk saves the day and attacks the, uh, the, the spaceship or the jump ship. And all we see is that John Harrison beams away into, you know, what we assume is close lie, but it turns out it's actually, he beams away to uh, the planet uh, Quonos, which is the Klingon homeworld. From there, uh, Sp- uh, Scotty actually discovers that his his uh, transporter technology that was he uh, was helped to uh, find in the first movie was actually used to, to, to transport him away and is actually very incensed about that. And Kirk, along with Spock, goes to uh, Admiral Marcus's uh, offices and he is uh, he begs to be reinstated as captain of the Enterprise so he can chase down uh, John Harrison and bring him back for the... Uh, to be... Uh, well, he he's, uh, actually begs him to, uh, to go and track down Harrison so he can actually kill him, not to bring him back. And then, uh, after some uh, some thoughts, uh, Admiral Marcus uh, abides and allows uh, Kirk to uh, go away with seventy two prototype photon torpedoes that will uh, that will be useful in killing John Harrison. And that's when we uh, the crew picks up uh, Carol Marcus's uh, character or Carol Marcus, um, who is played by Alice Eve. And she joins the crew as a, a new science officer uh, to help out. You see uh, Spock being a little bit jealous about this. And uh, it's just an interesting additional dynamic. Um, considering that Carol Marcus is, in the original universe, is the future so- uh, mother to um, Kirk's son. So that's an interesting uh, addition to the crew. The crew then flies out to uh, to Quonos, where we find that uh, the ship has is actually breaks down uh, during that flight. Actually, no, I just skipped skipped an entire major section of that. Uh, we have Scotty, who is opposed to bringing on the seventy two uh, prototype tor- torpedoes because he has no idea what's in them. Um, Starfleet will not let him know what's in them, and. He refuses to sign off on them because he's afraid that if he does that, they could cause some in- instability in the warp drive or cause something to go wrong and, and could potentially harm everyone in the crew. Uh, add to this that he also feels very unsure like why the uh, transporter technology wasn't scrapped away after the um, 2009 movie. He, uh, he actually resigns his commission to the Enterprise and leaves the ship where we have uh, young Mr. Chekhov Order to put on a red shirt 
causing a, a lot of uh, concern there. Then the ship flies out to Aquinas to find Harrison where it breaks down. And we have a, uh, have the crew, you know, using a a third-party shuttle to uh, go down to Quonos and actually get the uh, try to track down Harrison. The crew is then attacked by a couple of uh, Klingon ships that have discovered that they are visiting Kronos. And uh, when they are forced to land, and Uhura goes out there and tries and actually is very badass in standing up to the Klingons going toe-to-toe -to -toe -to -toe -to -toe with them, um, and actually about to be killed by them, uh, we have uh, John Harrison attacking the Klingons and bringing them, uh, bringing them to their knees. He then surrenders to, the, uh, to Kirk and company and is taken back to the Enterprise, where it's revealed that Harrison is actually not Harrison. He is a uh, man who was awakened from uh, suspended animation, and his name is Khan. Uh, which many fans remember as Khan Noonien seeing from the original series and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, um, where Khan re uh, reveals that he's actually, you know, he was woken up to uh, by Admiral Marcus to try to fight future threats to the uh, Federation, to Starfleet, because of the events of Star Trek 2009, where we found that Vulcan was attacked and the... Federation was not ready for that, and so we find that the Federation's using secret means to try to prevent its prevent from future attacks. Um, with that in mind, Khan uh, Khan actually tells us tells the team that uh, it was actually Marcus that sabotaged the Enterprise's warp drive, uh, because Marcus wanted the. Enterprise to be destroyed by the Klingons, giving him a justification to start the war, start a war with the Klingon Empire. Um, and he t also tells Kirk that uh, Marcus is actually building a, a new super weapon to fight that war, and Kirk gets Scotty to check out that, that weapon, and it turns out that it's actually a ship. And while the Enterprise is disabled near the Klingon border, uh, we have Admiral Marcus's ship actually just swing in and try to save the day, which it seems odd to the crew because they had sent out a distress order, but there was, it was, the situation was too perfect for them to be saved uh, from, uh, or by Admiral Marcus that quickly. Um, we then find out that Admiral Marcus, or Admiral Marcus finds out that uh, Kirk, instead of have killing Khan, actually brings him aboard, and Admiral Marcus is not happy about that. He then uh, proceeds to attack the Enterprise and bring his daughter back from the Enterprise so he can destroy the Enterprise. Um, and this is when you have Kirk realize that he must, he, he has to do anything to save his crew, even if it means giving himself over and... Uh, sacrificing himself to be to save them. Uh, Admiral Marcus de doesn't take a, take a Kirk surrender, so he uh, continues to attack the ship until Scotty is helpful enough to shut down the vengeance and give Kirk and company time to save themselves. 
and a throwback to uh, Star Trek 2009, we actually have uh, Kirk and, and Khan, they launch themselves out of the Enterprise and, and go into the Vengeance, where they they uh, get on board and track down Admiral Marcus. And while they're doing this, uh, young Spock, or yes, in this case, younger Spock, uh, has Uhura reach out to older Spock, and they have a conversation about uh, how Spock will never reveal anything that will... Uh, portray the future of Spock and Kirk and the rest of the Enterprise crew, except for one notable exception, and that is Khan, Noonien Singh, who Kirk is on the vengeance of, vengeance with right now, and Kirk is starting to have feelings that uh, Khan will probably end up betraying him and Scotty aboard the Enterprise, so or uh, aboard, the, aboard the vengeance. So as soon as they get to a situation where they can secure the environment, he orders Scotty to stun Khan. Once they get to the bridge and find Admiral Marcus, they uh, they actually Scotty shoots Khan and stuns him for like five seconds, and then Khan goes on a rampage to after he wakes up goes on a rampage to kill Admiral Marcus and then uh, cause serious harm to Alice Eve's leg, which uh, seems like she just or Carol Marcus's leg and just destroys it, um, and then threatens Kirk's, Kirk's life and shows that threats to the Enterprise crew um, in order to get his, in order for Khan to get his 72 crew members back. Uh, he, uh, Spock uh, does deliver and gives the 72 photon torpedoes back to the Vengeance. Um, and we get Kirk and Scotty and uh, Dr. Marcus born, uh, being back onto the Enterprise where uh, there's a major detonation on the uh, Vengeance, and it's revealed that the torpedo torpedoes that uh, Spock sent over wore the, tor the torpedoes, but they he replaced the bodies in there with uh, warheads, um, causing uh, causing the Vengeance to start to crash and, and essentially go on a collision course with San Francisco. Uh... At the same time, the Enterprise is nowhere in any condition to try to prevent the Vengeance from like flying and destroying the city. It also has in no condition to prevent itself from falling through the atmosphere and 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 falling uh, actually falling apart around the, the crew. So we have Spock trying to stay behind to save everybody, and we have uh, Kirk and Spock or Scotty trying to start the uh, start up the engines for the Enterprise so that. The Enterprise can get out of the uh, atmosphere and actually remain safe. Uh, in a severe or a magic twist of irony, in this universe, it's Kirk who actually goes into the warp core to uh, restart the the ship, which is also another throwback to Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, um, and he sacrifices himself in a major show of uh, maturity in in the show or in the movie. And we find that uh, as Spock comes up to uh, Kirk as uh, in a reverse of roles, uh, Spock uh, finds the dying captain, and as soon as the captain dies, he screams out Khan's name. And ready to finish the job, which the Vengeance crashing into San Francisco did not do, um, Spock beams down to Earth and tracks down Khan so he can kill him when it's realized that, oh, Khan's blood can actually bring Kirk back to life. 
So instead of killing Khan, uh, Uhura goes down and stops uh, Spock from killing him, and Kirk is revived. Um, and that is essentially where we end the movie. Uh, Kirk gives a speech to uh, uh, to recall the uh, the anniversary of the attack on Earth, and it's revealed that Kirk and the Enterprise crew will be going on a five year mission. Um, and to explore the uh, to the explore the galaxy and go where, quote, where no man has gone before. So, that is the plot for Star Trek uh, Into Darkness. Um, definitely a lot went on with that, but it's uh, it's uh, it's it's good to get that through. And uh, Dan, I think it's it's time to hear what you thought of some memorable moments of the movie. You know, <clears throat> I think can the. Uh the the most interesting thing for me for this movie and and it had it took me a couple times to watch it to really appreciate it but it was this whole Kirk the reason why Kirk is so trusting of Khan and is willing to turn his back on the Starfleet um, Starfleet admirals uh, council is because he Kirk's dedication to his crew his crew is his priority. He has more of a – it's more than just <clears throat> a relationship with these people. The, these, the, his crew is who he lives and breathes by and they save his life countless times. They save each other's lives. They're looking out for each other. And so that's the internal conflict that I don't think is really brought to light in the way that it should be in this movie is that it Kirk has this – like I said, it's this internal conflict. That's why he's so – trusting of Khan is because Khan feels the same about his crew that Kirk feels the same about his crew. And so that's something that I really appreciated about this movie is just the, uh, that, that, uh, juxtaposition of, yes, I need to, um, do as my superiors tell me to. Uh, but at the same time there, um, I want my crew to be safe. And so that's what I really appreciated about th- that that theme of this movie. Yeah, I think the I hadn't thought of. Uh, I guess Kurt, I didn't really put too much thought into Kirk's willingness to trust uh, Khan in this. Um, I definitely found Khan to be very sympathetic in this movie, mm-hmm. just like he was in in the original Star Trek in a, or Star Trek the original series. Wow, I'm gonna get lambasted for that one. Uh, Star Trek <laughs> the original series episode Space Seat. Mm-hmm. Khan was very he was actually very sympathetic until it's revealed that he was a warlord who killed a bunch of people like millions of people um, but Khan had a, the same mission that Kirk eventually had and that was to save his crew and to make sure they were safe I think in a weird way Khan actually helped Kirk realize that was his mission because in the start of the movie you had Kirk um Going off, it's like, yeah, I, you know, nobody's ever died on my ship. That, how many other captains have had that? And you had Admiral Pike saying, that's because you got lucky, and you're hiding behind that. You're doing things that are sacrificing your crew and making them do things that they shouldn't have to do because they're going against, you know, the main principles of Starfleet, i.e. the Prime Directive. Where you have... Um, where you have... Spock actually willing to sacrifice himself to lay down his cap or to, to follow through with his captain's orders. You know, I think it's because of Khan, if 
if the Nibiru scene had happened after Star Trek, after Star Trek Into Darkness, you wouldn't have seen Kirk actually go through with the plan to save the the uh, this the people on Nibiru. Nibiru. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that maturity, because Khan said, you know, this is this is my priority. But that being said, if you know, yeah, just Khan Khan was a bad guy, but he definitely did have his priority that I think. Kirk realized and aligned with, and I think that's a it's a really great thought of, you know, this is why he did it because he finally did see that he has to protect his crew and and Khan. That's what Khan was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, in line of uh, of that, one of the the most memorable scenes for me was Kirk willingly sacrificing himself to Admiral Marcus. Um, you know. For that, it was a career-based sacrifice, not a uh, a life-based sacrifice. But you had uh, Kirk willing to surrender himself so his crew would not be um, punished for his actions, and I think that showed his his uh, his growth in the movie. I think, and that's actually another thing I, I have to say about this movie. I think you got to see a more mature Kirk um, because of the actions in this movie. Oh, you got yeah. to see him him grow up actually in a relatively short amount of time because he realized, you know, my actions can lead to the death of the crew. And you, you definitely got that, that sense of, uh, that new sense of urgency from him. Yeah. And, you know, going along with that, we, I, I really enjoyed seeing the Spock and Kirk, uh, that relationship. And in the beginning, Spock is just a punk. Like I, I developed such a great appreciation for this character after Star Trek 2009. But then in Into Darkness, the first thing he does is throw Kirk under the bus because it's what he's supposed to do. And it's like, you know, Kirk just saved your life. And Spock is willing to to lay his life down if that means keeping the prime directive right. <laughs> and so I think when at the end when we see Spock about to kill Khan because of him killing Kirk, um, I just think that that's such a, an amazing uh, d- character relationship development right there that Spock just feels he's beginning to see Kirk as his best friend and as, the, as one of the only people that will ever have his back. And I just, I thought that was... That Kirk, that Spock, willing to let his emotions take control of him, even after he's been told, you know, that he needs to Vulcans need to check their emotions. Um, you know, the the only time we had seen Spock lash out in this kind of anger was when he, when the, those bullies, you know, provoked him about his mom. So um, I I really enjoyed seeing that that Spock and Kirk relationship dynamic really grow and develop in this movie. Yeah, I thought that was. Uh... I honestly, in the beginning of the movie, I guess it's because of, of my history with Spock. I, I honestly sided with Spock when it came to uh, to to Kirk feeling betrayed about Spock revealing the uh, revealing what actually happened on the on the planet. He was doing his duty to to Starfleet. I mean, he definitely like I felt he was somewhat justified. Yes, Kirk saved him, but if Kirk had followed the original mission parameters, he wouldn't have had to save him in the first place. Yeah, and I don't think that was Spock. You know meaningly or trying to betray uh kirk i think it was more spock saying you know this is this is my like this is my my uh duty i have to you know fulfill these reports and actually say this is what actually happened assuming yeah. that 
and he was assuming that the captain had done the same. I think if the two had talked about it and Kirk had said, you know, I'm not going to say that we did this in the mission report, I think you would have seen Spock not do it. I, uh-huh. I honestly, maybe I'm overly attached to the character, <laughs> but I, I honestly think Spock would have said, yeah, we went to Nibiru, or we, yeah, we went to Nibiru and nothing happened. Yeah. Um, but we don't know that. We, I, we, we can't say that for sure. We can only go with what we know. Um, but I, honestly, I don't think he did it in a way to to backstab Kirk. Yeah. Um, so I'm I gonna, can see that. I'll disagree with you on that one there, because I, I guess because I don't see Spock as someone who would willingly backstab him. I I think it was more of an unintentional backstabbing. It was like, oh, I'm going to throw this knife away. Oops, I, I just hit you in the back, uh, Caesar. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's accidental Brutus, not a not an intentional Brutus. <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> um, I think along the same line, same same line of, of, of growth, you you would not have seen the growth that you did from Spock and from Kirk if you ha- if there wasn't Admiral Pike's death, which for me was a very sad scene in the movie. I was actually hoping we would we would get to see more Admiral Pike in the future, but oh, I know his death was a sacrifice in itself because it, it led to, it led Spock to who had experienced what is pretty much as close as possible as experiencing the extinction of your own species, um, of the extinction of Vulcan or the Vulcan uh, species going through that and, and doing it, dealing with it with a, a hard shell, you got to see him get in touch with his emotions with the death of Admiral Pike and literally feeling what he's feeling as he's dying because he mind melts with him mm-hmm. and feeling that, that aloneness. Yeah. Um, and that, that led to some, I think what led to actually Spock's uh, tapping into more of his emotions as the movie went on. Um, it led to that growth, but it also led to, you know, Kirk having this, massive reaction to to uh, Pike's death that I don't think Kirk would have normally had of tracking down Khan and, and killing him I, I think that's a, I think that wasn't if it weren't for essentially his father dying because in this universe while Pine isn't um, while Pine isn't uh, Kirk's actual father he, he definitely was a probably the most fatherly figure that Kirk had in his in his life, um, with him dying, that Kirk was ready to do anything. Mm-hmm. Just like you see later in the movie with, with Kirk dying, you saw Spock willing to kill Khan to, uh, I just realized that Khan killed, well, essentially killed two men and the people left behind wanted to kill him off because of that. Uh, but, uh, yeah. you got to see that. And it, essentially both characters came to a point where they, both Kirk and Spock realized that they overreacted. And mm. because this guy killed my friend or my father, I can't kill him. It doesn't bring that person back. Mm-hmm. And and literally for Kirk, if Spock had killed uh, Khan, they wouldn't have been able to bring Kirk back. Very true. Huh. Do you have any... Uh, do you have any other memorable moments or, any, or anything about the uh, the movie? Um, you know, uh, nothing that really comes to mind. I mean, there's so many themes about this movie. Um, 
that we could just talk about and discuss for hours. But um, I I think that it was a, a really well done movie. Um, I, I guess my, the only other funny moment is just the the whole triple scene. I thought that was pretty funny to see a triple in there. I'm like, okay, well, ne- next we, we need to see a Gorn, you know? <laughs> yeah. I actually would love to see a Gorn in the next movie. Maybe we, maybe we will. Oh, that'd be uh, so sick. I'm not sure if we will, though, because of how uh, Simon Pegg was talking about... Uh, I don't know if you saw his recent comments, and we can maybe talk about that near the end of the show, but Simon Pegg's comments about... Uh, about... I don't want to say, like, nerd movies, but... Movies where you have uh, heavy throwbacks to to previous uh, media, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure if we'll see a lot of Gorn if, if he has anything to do with it. Yeah. Um. So we definitely went through the uh, the review of the movie. Or I, I do want to ask you, um, Dan, which one did you prefer, Star Trek 2009 or Star Trek Into Darkness? You know that's a tough call because they're both really good in their own respects. Um. I would just say. I would say Star Trek 2009 only because as great as Star Trek Into Darkness was, I was a little let down by it. And it wasn't so much of the themes and everything that that, uh, that we discussed, but it was because Star Trek 2009 brought in this alternate parallel timeline. And Star Trek Into Darkness, while still using Khan, could have made such a, a different movie that didn't necessarily follow the wrath of Khan's formula as much as it did. And, and, you know, I understand the throwbacks and, and the callbacks and, you know, paying homage to the originals, but I just think that Star Trek 2009 set up for a way that it could have made into darkness could have been such a different movie and could have been a better movie. Um, that, so that, that's my thoughts on it. So I would, like I said, they're both good. I don't disqualify Star Trek Into Darkness because of that. I just think it had more potential. So I'd go with Star Trek 2009. Awesome. Um, I think uh, for me, I, I I really enjoyed Star Trek 2009. It was a great movie. Um, it was a great way to start off the series. It was you know, a great way to bring all of those characters together. And if it weren't for Star Trek 2009, you would not have Star Trek Into Darkness. All of that being said, Star Trek Into Darkness, for me, was a better movie. It was uh, more thought out. You had you actually saw the how the actions of Star Trek Into Nar- in 2009 and had an impact on the future on the future of the universe. You know, Vulcan was gone, and you had to have Starfleet respond in a way. And Starfleet responded in a way that you know. In a way that our our society responded after nine eleven and becoming you know a little bit more militarized or actually a lot more militarized um, and ready to 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 defend itself and even you know going out and preempting and creating war to defend itself and I know that's a little bit political and we're definitely not here for that but I, I think it, this movie had a reflection and you know agree with it or not but it it definitely said okay well. We're going to take these similarities and just show that to you in this way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in a way that I don't think Star Trek 2009 could because Star Trek 2009 was an origin movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually really appreciate that. It took these characters that we knew and it put them in this new situation. 
and it said you have to deal with the universe as it is, not how you'd like it to be. Yeah. And it also put that to the fans too, because it was like, you know, the universe is different and we, this is how we're going to, to, to go about that. Um, and we're going to have people that you're familiar with and we're going to, you know, put them into those new situations because of that. Totally. I definitely agree with you. I think it had a issue of paying homage too much, even lifting lines from previous movies like Spock yelling out Khan, which the scene, if you took it by itself, would be akin to watching the scene of the screaming goat. <laughs> um, just because it just feels... <clears throat> it feels out of place. It felt out of place when I saw the movie the first time, the second time, and it still feels out of place today. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they would have dealt with it. I, I think maybe Spock probably just shouldn't have said or screamed out Khan, but we can't go back and change that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the movie showed a maturity and it showed a growth that uh, <clears throat> that appealed to me and I really appreciate that in the movie um, because while 2009 was a, a fun popcorn fest I think Into Darkness actually made people think and you had to, you had to, you had to dig a little, dig a little in, into that but I think Star Trek at its best always puts people at a place and, and sci-fi in general at its best puts people in a place where it has to think about what's going on around them and it takes that that takes people out of that familiar setting and says, okay, well, here's sci-fi, here's something cool. So, you know, the people that don't want to think about what they're watching, okay, you can have fun and, and enjoy that. But the people that want to think about, oh, well, this is what, uh, you know, these are some thoughts that we have about what's going on. I think it did a good job at that. Um, so I, I, that's why I enjoyed 2009, or sorry, I enjoyed Into Darkness more than 2009 because it had that deeper thought and deeper meaning behind it. Totally. Um, so, now that we have gone through Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness, um, and we have gone through the last of the J.J. Abrams-directed Star Trek movies, the important question, question for you, and for me, I don't know why I'm speaking like this, important mm-hmm. question for you and for me is, is it a bad thing that J.J. Abrams is no longer helming, uh, helming the Enterprising, or Enterprising, uh, sorry, is no longer helming uh, the new Star Trek. You know, I don't think it's <clears throat> it's really that much of a bad thing, Ken. Um, I think about Joss Whedon departing from the Avengers, and because at this point it's really hard to really capture lightning in a bottle, you know, so many times. I think, you know, and plus with J.J. Abrams going to direct Star Wars, it would just create this entire conflict of interest. But I just think it would be so tough for J.J. Abrams, as great a director as he is, to craft a really good Star Trek movie and Star Wars and do all these things that he's doing as side projects. Um, And not to mention, he did receive, J.J. Abrams did receive a lot of backlash with Into Darkness, similar to the backlash that Joss Whedon received for Age of Ultron. And so I think that, you know, it's it's a wise move for J.J. Abrams to to uh, depart from the franchise, and like we said with Avengers: Age of Ultron, it's good to bring in new uh, new talented uh, and and uh, a different creative conscience to take take this uh, take this franchise and and uh, make the best of it. So I think it's uh, I think they did the right thing. Yeah, I I agree with you there. I, I think Abrams is leaving and and going on to. to 
I would say bigger um, things and movie-wise better things. I, I think uh, Star Wars has always been a better movie series than Star Trek, um, which I, I think him doing that is, is good for Star Wars. I still think it's great for Star Trek because, like you said, you have to have new blood come in. You have to have new thoughts come in. And we, in this case, we actually get Simon Pegg being one of the writers for, you know, Star Trek into Dark, or Star Trek uh, 2016, which might be named, according to an interview from Simon Pegg, Star Trek Beyond. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, I, I hope that we can get away from, from, from the Abrams idea of, well, we have to save Earth or we have to, you know, or getting away from Earth because that's one of the weird things. Like these two movies have been near Earth a lot to be a space movie. Um, so I'm hoping that we we get away and we get to see uh, what's in deep space and and Kirk and crew out on an adventure. I I definitely want to see that. Now that's not saying I didn't like J.J. Abrams' movie. I or J.J. Abrams as director. I definitely enjoyed it. And if it weren't for J.J. Abrams. I don't think Star Trek would be on the big screen right now, and there wouldn't be talks of trying to bring back a Star Trek TV series. Um, but uh, I'm definitely looking forward to what's new. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so now that we've wrapped this all up in a, a nice little, uh, nice little package for everybody to to take in, um, I guess that's a phrasing. Uh, <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> uh, are we not doing that anymore? <laughs> I don't think we're doing. It, it sounds like we actually are doing that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, would you? Uh, you're going to ask this question we ask for every movie or trailer that we've seen, um, Dan. For Star Trek 2009, would you buy it, rent it, or never watch it again? Buy it, buy it, buy it. All right. Um, I, I'm definitely. I own it, so I guess I have to say I've bought it. I, I think I would be okay with renting it again. Like, if I... If, uh... I don't necessarily have to have it in my collection. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Star Trek... Tales, uh, let's just jump into it. For, for me, Star Trek uh, Into Darkness was definitely a buy. I, I enjoyed seeing those characters and seeing them in a, a new light. What about you? Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, of course, I'm a collector, so um, if I have... One of the I, I can't just have not have the entire collection. So um, I and I do appreciate Star Trek Into Darkness, and I and so uh, I definitely buy that one and to add it to the collection. Yeah, I guess you know having to you know being a collector as well. I guess I probably would want to have Star Trek 2000. I, I mean, I own it, so I, if I didn't own it, I would probably have bought it anyway. So damn it, you're right. Using that one, <laughs> I would buy Star Trek 2009 as well. <laughs> Sorry, reverse my decision. <laughs> um, so, with that, um, that is finally you know Star Trek 2009 and Star Trek Into Darkness retrospective. We definitely uh, got to uh, to delve into that topic a little bit and and finally get to it. I honestly, these two movies I've always gone back and forth on loving and not loving as much. I never hated them. Um, actually, I take that back. I, I hated Star Trek Into Darkness when I read the spoilers before seeing the movie. Um, and fortunately, Matthew convinced me to watch the movie anyway. And I, I watched it and fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, with with all that uh, with all that wrapped away, I'm, I'm definitely glad we finally got to do Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness. 
by retrospective because we have been putting it off and you know I got to revisit that the, these two movies that I you know I, I did enjoy watching so it was nice yeah I'm glad we got to do it for you Ken yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I said before we're definitely going to be uh, after Dan gets to watch uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season 1 and 2 we'll definitely go through a retrospective of that I don't have an idea of what we're going to be doing in the coming weeks, but uh, listen to the the post uh, show and we'll see if you uh, if we do have anything new. Um, with that, Dan, thank you for uh, for uh, for a good podcast. Yeah, man. Likewise, and looking forward to nerding out with you again soon. That was episode four of Casually Nerding. We finally got to talk about Star Trek and Star Trek in the Darkness, and I'm really happy that we had that conversation. I, I got to get a lot of feelings off my chest, and as you could tell during the conversation, I still was uh, going back and forth on if I really love the movies or if I just like them. Um, I can definitely tell you I like them, and for the most part, I love the movies. It, it really brought Star Trek back into the public uh, eye again, and it's, it's just really great to have. Uh, back in my life and hopefully we can get a tv series of uh, out of this um i do have one apology for the episode and that is my consistent coughing uh, i do apologize about that we had uh, matthew and i had just gotten back from a, a flight and i apparently got a cold or something from the plane flight so uh that was not fun on the next episode of Casually Nerding we have a conversation about a question that Dan posed to us uh the question is have we reached the peak of comic book movies? Now that we've recorded several podcasts and we have an idea on how to mix these down after we've recorded the, uh, the main conversation, we'll be releasing these weekly. So until next week, keep nerding out. This episode of Casually Speaking was hosted by Dan and Ken. It was produced by Matthew and Ken. And it was a production of Speaking Casually Productions 2015.